0: This is the six statement that Jesus made in the dying moments of his life on the cross. In this series, Seven Words from the Cross, we have been looking at these seven words or seven statements that Jesus gave. I mentioned to you last week that when we got to the final three, that the final three actually come in rapid succession. Last week, and you'll see the scripture, I'll go back and read the scripture this morning, but last week, and we talked about this Jesus said, I am thirsty. And what are the profound implications that are indicated when Jesus says, I am thirsty? And now he says, it is finished. Now... You know, I'm not taking away anything from the producers, Mel Gibson, and those who put together this movie, but it seems that the tone that Jesus says, it is finished, was, was at about the same volume level that the other statements, the other uh, ones that we have looked at to this point. But if you happen to be here on the particular Sunday when we address this statement that Jesus made, do you remember in those moments, the weight of the whole world was put upon him, upon Jesus, your sin, my sin, sin of the whole world. We'd looked at the verse from the Old Testament that said that God is so holy that God cannot look on evil. God cannot even momentarily look on evil. So when the weight of the whole world was placed on Jesus, God, Jesus' Father, Heavenly Father, had to turn His head, could not even look at His Son. In that moment, there is this sense, this feeling of that, to which scholars tell us that Jesus raises His voice it's as though He yells out, screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Well, these, uh, you know, the volume level, again, uh, theologians would tell us was probably elevated at that point. And such is the case when Jesus said it is finished. Now, just before we read it together, uh, you know that these are not words it is, uh, or maybe you don't know, and we need to clarify. When Jesus said it is finished, these are not the sad words of a dying martyr. They are not words of despair. They are not words of discouragement. Jesus is not giving up. He is not surrendering. This is not defeat. It is actually a closing victory shout. And we're going to talk about why that is so. But I want you to look with me at a couple of verses. The guys are going to put them here on the screen. Let's look. One of which we looked at last week. Later, knowing that all was now completed, we talked about that, all that was completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now that's where we left off last week. Now look at this next part. When he had received the drink, everybody now read the last part with me, everybody. Let's read it together. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished with volume, with energy. Now, what is Jesus telling us here? Well, for one thing, he is not saying, as I mentioned to you, that he is finished. He did not say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished, not that I'm finished. Now, the Roman soldiers may have thought that he was finished, and so would the religious leaders, uh, their hearts dance with glee at the thought that this one, that they have demanded his execution, that now their competition and the one that they were jealous over and all of these things that, that uh, now they think in their mind, in their estimation that Jesus is finished. We know even from the New Testament writers that the disciples were convinced that Jesus was finished. And with that, their hopes and dreams would be dashed. It was like everything that we had hoped for, everything that we had anticipated, everything that we have dreamed about and wished for, it's over, it's finished. Satan, the evil one, the devil, possessed the notion that the great threat to the kingdom of darkness was now finally eliminated, but Jesus has not been eliminated, and Jesus is not finished. This is actually a shout of conquest. It is finished, not I am finished. I want you to listen to jesus 's words, not on the screen. This is John chapter four. This is what Jesus said. He said, "My food or my nourishment." is to do what God wants. You want to talk about, Jesus would say, what fires me up, what I'm passionate about, What I'm motivated by, it is this, it is doing what God wants me to do. Then he goes on in that same verse, and he says, he is the one who sent me, now listen to this part, and I must finish the work he gave me to do. Jesus sent me, I'm on mission, I've got a prerogative to accomplish, I'm not here accidentally, I have a mission to complete, the Father sent me into the world, and I'm going to keep doing the Father's business until it is finished. I'm going to do the work that God gave me to do. And then we saw in this sixth statement where he said, it is is now finished. It is finished. And we need to talk about that. What is finished? What was the mission and assignment of Jesus? What What has now been accomplished, this work? What has now been fulfilled, completed, satisfied? And we need to talk about that. But just before we get to that and sort of explore his work, I want you to just think about this question, and then I'm going to give you just a moment of background before we dive into this, because you may wonder, some of you, which would wonder, what does Jesus really know? I mean, that's pretty gruesome when uh, we see it on the screen, you know, full-color, full-screen, and yet, it's not a denial reality. This is not some fictitious event that happened. This Jesus really was flawed, with skirts, was scourged, uh, was... I shared with you recently, most people who went through the beating that Jesus went through never would have made it to the cross that He was actually dying when He was nailed to the cross, and, um, you know, the reality is... You, And again, I don't want to get too detailed because there's so much to cover today, but we know that Jesus was unable to carry his own cross. He stumbled under the weight of it. Somebody was coached out of the crowd to carry it for him, and the reality is Jesus was already dying before he got to the cross, and he lasted about six hours. Now, does Jesus know what he's getting into? And I think it's important for you and I to consider that he does. And I'll give you, this is just a a moment of background, but I think it'll be helpful for you to understand that Jesus fully knew what was ahead of him, that he knew what his mission and assignment ultimately would cost him. You see, in the book of Acts, there is a guy mentioned in that book. His name is Judas the Galilean, Judas the Galilean. There's a lot of people, historians, who believe that Judas the Galilean was actually the founder of the Zealots. And there came this time when Judas the Galilean, and all along with all of these Zealots, led this very forceful uh, revolt against Rome. It was put to rest. It was not fulfilled. And as a result of that, think about this now, Judas the Galilean, along with 2,000 of his followers, were crucified. Think about this. Now, this is before Jesus. I've shared with you before that many, many, many people were uh, crucified before Jesus and after Jesus, Judas the Galilean and these 2,000 followers being just some of those. Now, it was interesting what Rome did after these followers who were crucified, nailed to a cross, died, what they did. They left the crosses standing. Because here's what the message of the Romans were. If if you try to revolt against us, if you try to rebel against us, if you try to come against us, we want you to know there are plenty more of these crosses to put bodies on. Now, when this happened, uh, Jesus was just a little, uh, a young boy. And Judas the Galilean lived, of course, in the region of Galilee, which was not too far from Nazareth. So as a young boy, think about this now, maybe you've never considered this, maybe you've never heard it, that as a young boy growing up in Nazareth, Jesus would have seen these crosses that the Romans had left standing. And he understood the message, this is what happens to anybody who claims to be the Messiah. So Jesus knew what he was getting into, but he knew he had a mission to fulfill, a work needed to be accomplished, and he would not be deterred until it was finished. So what was his work, and we're going to take a few moments, and we're going to talk about that before we're done today. What was his work, and I want to touch on three aspects of it, and you may want to get this down, all right? What was the work of Jesus? What, when, he, when he yelled, most likely yelled from the cross, it is finished, not I am finished, it is finished, what was he declaring had been accomplished? Number one, Jesus desired to pay our penalty in full. Jesus' desire to pay our penalty in full. Look at Colossians 1:14 right here on the screen. Look at this verse with me. In fact, why don't we read it together? Colossians 1:14 says this: His son paid the price to free us, which means that our sins are forgiven. His son, God's son, Jesus, paid the price to free us, which means that our sins are forgiven. Now, which sins are are being referred to here? Which sins? Are being talked about. Which sins did Jesus pay for? Um, Did he just pay? Think about this. Did Jesus just pay for the little ones? Did he just pay for the lightweight ones? Did Jesus just say, all right, when I die on the cross and I pay the penalty, when I pay the penalty in full, I'm just, I'm going to draw the line at just the moral misdemeanors. I'm not going to get into like the real, real big deal. No, when Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins, he paid it in full and he did it for all of them. Now, do you realize this that when Jesus paid for your sins that he did so once and for all once and for all now why do I mention that? Because in the Old Testament priesthood, there were countless numbers of lambs that were sacrificing. Uh, and it was going on and on and on. Why? Because people kept sinning and sinning just like people do today, sinning and sinning and sinning. And so every time there was sin, there had to be an atonement. And we're not going to get into the technical nuances of that. But anytime there was sin, there would be atonement for that. This room would be offered up to God. And, and so as long as people were sinning, these lambs were being offered up as sacrifices, but when Jesus, think about this now, when Jesus, the spotless Lamb, was offered his life as a sacrifice, it was a sacrifice that satisfied the full wrath of God. And it was once and for all. Once and for all. Now, he paid the debt in full. Now, why does that matter? Think about this with me for just a moment. When you think about it, and we'll just try to make an analogy here. Uh, when you think uh, about let's say bills that you remember, bills that you think of, uh, the ones that you think about probably, most likely, if you're like me, are the ones that are not yet satisfied. And here's what I mean. I do not think about, I don't dwell on, I don't remember, I don't recall, I don't try to anticipate a due date for my, and I know some of you have this, and I did at one and so I'm with you on this, but I don't think about my college school loans anymore. I don't. Why? Because I've been out of college for at least five years now, at least at a minimum. <laughs> and so I, I don't think about them. I don't why? Because it has been paid, my school bill, Southeastern and the loan company, everybody's excited about this. It has been paid in full. So I don't remember it. I don't even think about it in the course of a month. There's not a due date. There's zero balance. However, having said that, I do think about my mortgage because it is not paid in full. And I still have debt associated with so that I think about and you know and I think all right I'm coming up on this particular day of the month I need to go online I need to pay my mortgage what do we think do we think about the bills that have been paid in full now when Jesus paid our debt he paid it in full I want you to check out this next verse Hebrews ten eighteen says this when sins are forgiven there is no more need to offer sacrifice Jesus is spot once and for all. That was it. The sacrificial uh, system was totally abandoned at that point in time. Now, here's some additional great news. You cannot add, and I cannot add. I want you to hear me on this. You cannot add, and I cannot add to anything that Jesus has already done. You can't say, well, you know, and all of us try to do this. Well, I know what Jesus did for me, but I've got to try harder. i got to do more. And I'm not talking about having, you know, wanting to grow as a Christian. I'm not talking about. That all of us want to grow as a Christian, and all of us are at a point where we need to continue to grow because none of us have arrived yet. I'm not talking about that, but a lot of times we can develop this mentality that says, "You know what? I know what I read in the Bible. I know what I hear in church, but I've got to do my part. I've got to try harder. I've got to do more." It's like what Jesus did, his sacrifice once and for all, was not quite enough. Uh, quite enough. Therefore, I've got to do what I've got to do to make it the full reality. And and that is not how it is. What Jesus did was sufficient. Listen close to this next verse. It's not on the screen. This is Isaiah 43.1. It's a remarkable voice. I want you to hear it, a verse. I want you to listen to it. This is what God is speaking. And God says this, do not be afraid. And then he says, why I do not want you to be afraid. Do not be afraid, God said, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Number one, do you know that God knows you by name? God knows you by name. God knows every detail about you. Do you know God not only knows the color of your hair right now, God knows what the original color is right now. He knows. You may not even know. Only your hairdresser and God knows. All right? But He knows you by name. He, he knows the number of hairs that are upon your head. God knows you intimately, he knows you in great detail, and he said, I don't want you to be afraid. I know you by name. You belong to me, and by the way, I've ransomed you. I'd like to strike a deal with, uh, with all of our church family, all right? I'm going to put my hands up here so I can see. Number one, I want to make sure you're awake. I know those chairs. Wave your hand if you're with me. Wave your hand. Wave your hand if you're fully engaged, all right? One more thing while you're, while you're waving. One more thing. This will help me to feel a little bit better. How many of you at least partially love me, just even if it's that much. Would you wave? Even if it's that, you, all right. So based on that, if you love me at least that much, then I'd like to strike a deal with you. If I am ever kidnapped and held for ransom, I don't want you to all of a sudden go cheap on me. <laughs> I, I don't want you to say, well, you know what? Our poor pastor has being held for ransom. I think among all of us, we can at least collect $12.67 to try. Now, I don't want you to go cheap on me. If I'm ever kidnapped and I'm held for ransom, would you please do your very, very best? Now, why do I mention that? Jesus said you were a slave. You were held in captivity, and I ransomed you. I paid you out of captivity, and here's what I paid. I paid in blood. I paid with my blood. I paid your penalty in full. You are free now, and that's one of the things that Jesus accomplished. When Jesus said, it is finished, Jesus was not saying, and we've got to be so clear on this, Jesus was not saying, I am finished. Jesus was saying, the work I was sent to do has been accomplished. It is finished. So number one, Jesus desired to pay our penalty in full. You need to listen to this next one. What was the word that Jesus finished? Number two, Jesus permanently defeated sin and death, and that matters a whole lot. Now you've heard, if you've been around church, you've heard people talk about this a lot, and we don't often think about it. We hear it, and we just keep right on moving, but I want you to hear it. Jesus paid the penalty in full, But what did Jesus do? He permanently defeated sin and death. I want you to look at this verse. This is out of Romans, Romans chapter five. Look at this verse, verse 17, and I'll read this one. For the sin of this one man, Adam, all right, going all the way back to the original sinner, all right, for the sin of this one man, Adam, what happened? It caused death to rule over what? Many. In fact, it's all of us. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph. Those who receive God's grace, the gift of his grace and the gift of righteousness, look at this last part, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So what did Adam do? We're not going back for an Old Testament study, but what did Adam do? When Adam sinned, it brought sin into the world. And don't get mad at Adam. Had or I been in Adam's place, we would have done the very same thing, or worse. So sin came through Adam, but grace came through Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, you're under the penalty here, but here's what I'm going to do. The second Adam, who Jesus is referred to in Scripture, the second Adam is going to come, and I'm going to bring in grace and righteousness, and I am going to defeat sin, and I'm going to defeat death. You and I, think about this, because Jesus completed his mission. Because when Jesus yelled out, it is finished, when he finished his work, you and I—this is what we just read in Romans five seventeen. You and I can triumph. Think about this now. We can triumph over sin and death. You with me on that? Wave at me again if you're with me. All right. You remember what happens around here? I, I was talking to some new friends at our church, and I just, you know, just said, "Hey, you know, my buddies always tell me must be great to be able to speak every weekend in blue jeans in church." And I said, "It is. It's wonderful." We'll never want to change a thing. I said, but there's one part of sort of the environment venue that I'm in every week that you probably would not want, and that is in a theater that has reclining seats that are very, very comfortable. So with that, we establish a law, a rule. If anybody dozes, if anybody appears that they're earnestly praying, you just smack them, bring them back to life, resurrection, resurrection. In Jesus' name. You just do it, all right? So how many of you are with me? You're with me, all right? So who is this available to? If Jesus said, it is finished, talking about his permanent defeat of sin and death, who is this available to? Romans five seventeen 17 said, it's very simply, to all who are willing to receive it. Jesus has already done the work, but we've got to be willing to receive it. Now, I really want to help you right here, so I need you to really track with me. I need you to really give me some of your best thinking right here. If you have... And if you have not, if you will receive what Jesus made available to you, then you do not, hear this now, you do not have to fall victim to sin, and you don't have to fear death. If you will receive, if you have, or if you haven't, and you will receive what Jesus has made available to you, then you don't have to fall victim to sin or fear death. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, Pastor Jeff, did you just say I'm not gonna sin? I did not say you're not gonna sin. I know a lot of you. And I'd never say that about you. <laughs> Nor would I say it about me. I'm not saying that you or I will never sin. Of course not. But you do have to, but you don't have to become, listen, a casualty of sin patterns, habits, and addictions. A person says. I can't remain sober. It's impossible. I'll always be like this. I can't be. That is not true. That is not true. You you can, not on your own power, because often if you and I could do it in our own power, have have you ever realized this? If we could do something in our own power, we would have already done something about it. And you and I can't do these things. A person says, all right, uh, you know, sobriety is not my, my challenge, but I'm addicted, say, to porn. I, I, I'm addicted to porn, a person might would say, therefore, I, I feel I always will be, I'll never be able to escape that. That is, that is not accurate. A person says, well, I cannot stop, fill in the blank, whatever this is. This, that is not what the Bible says. You and I, it doesn't mean, listen, it does not mean that you and I will never sin. You and I, and I can't speak for you, but I probably sin multiple times every, every week. Probably, maybe, I don't know, as much or more than, than you do. So I'm not saying that you and I are going to reach a point where we're never going to sin or we're never going to be tempted to sin. The reality is you and I may sin, but we don't have to be a victim of sin. Does that, does that make sense to you? Look at Hebrews 2. Just take a look at this verse. This is Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. The son also became flesh and blood. Jesus did. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So uh, I'm going to transition right here. But I want you to think about something just before I do. Jesus gives us the power to say no to sin. Jesus gives us the power to say no to sin, all right? You and I, although, you know, we're not gonna be, I wish we could, I wish we could be sinless the rest of our days. None of us are gonna be able to accomplish that as much as we want to, but the reality is we don't have to be a victim to sin. We don't have to be a casual to sin. And, and one of the things, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was proclaiming that he was victorious over sin and death And so that you and I don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. But it's not just sin. It is also, he said, I'm going to help you so that you do not have to fear death. Not only can you overcome, not only can I overcome habits and strongholds and addictions, as a Christian, you need not fear death. If you're a follower of Jesus and you fear death, let me just say it this way. If you are a follower of Jesus and you fear dying, then the reality is that's straight from the devil it is. If you as a Christian fear death. Now, if we truly believe that Jesus finished his work and that heaven is a real place, then why should we dread death? Do you ever look forward to great things? Anybody here, aside from me, do you look forward to great things? I, I, I do. I look forward. I anticipate. I'm like most of you. I stay very, very busy, so when I get a break from the action and I can anticipate doing something relaxing or replenishing or fun, I, I look forward to great great events. For example, uh, my cousin is here. My cousin Ed is here, and Ed and I, you've heard me mention him before, Ed and I are closer than any brothers you'd ever find. we very, very close. We're cousins, but we're, we're like brothers. We're very, very close. He pastors a phenomenal church about two and a half hours south of here, just north of Naples. So Ed came in yesterday. We had dinner together, and uh, he's with us today. After the service at the North Campus tonight, he and I are going to get in the vehicle, and we're going to drive about an hour out of town, and, and our goal, our plan is to play about 54 holes of golf in the next two days, Monday and Tuesday. I am excited about that. I'm looking forward to that. I've been anticipating that ever since it has been planned. I look forward to summer vacation. I look forward to the birth of our third grandchild. No way that child will be as sweet as the first two, but I still look forward to the birth of that child. I look forward, believe it or not, to the beginning of football season, and I'm trying not to drink the Kool-Aid this year as to what they tell me about our team, but I don't want to set myself up for once again chronic disappointment. I look forward to great things. I really do. In fact, can I tell you the only thing that brings me comfort concerning the death of my mom and dad is knowing where they are. I want to call them all the time. I want to call them. I was talking to my dad's brother just yesterday. He's the only person really that I'm in contact with my dad's family anymore and we stay in touch and we made an agreement the day of my dad's service that we were going to do that. I said to him, my uncle, I said, I have so many times when I want to call dad, and uh, named off some examples. The only thing that keeps me, you know, somewhat comforted by their loss is knowing where they are. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1, 21. He said, for to me, listen to this now, it's like he's saying, either way, I, I can't lose on this. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what he said. He said, as a Christian, how do I lose? He said, if I keep on living, that's in Jesus. If I die, then that's a gain. That's a promotion. Either way, I win. Either, whatever happens, live or die, I'm in good. How many of you are getting this? Wave at me again. Are you you getting this? As a Christian, not as a non-Christian, but as a Christian, if if I live, great. If I die, That's promotion. It sort of reminds me of a building I heard about in rural Mississippi. It was a little building. It had not been properly maintained, and lawns were certainly not manicured. It was an old dilapidated sign out front. And this is what the sign said out front, this little dilapidated building. The sign said, uh, it said, veterinarian slash (laughs) taxidermist. And then in small print underneath, it said, Either way, you get your dog back. <laughs> Either way, father's coming home. Either way, live or die. How many of you know as a Christian, we're going to be all right? To live or die is a great win. What was the word that Jesus finished? Well, we said that Jesus desired to pay our penalty in full, and he accomplished that. Jesus permanently defeated sin and death, and he fulfilled that. Thirdly and lastly, what was the word that Jesus finished? You've got to hear this. It's going to encourage you. Jesus crushed the plans of the devil. Jesus crushed, absolutely obliterated the plans of the devil. Why do I mention that? You need to know this. God has a plan for your life, but he's not the only one that has a plan for your life. So does the devil. Jesus said that. In John chapter 10, Jesus said that the devil has a plan for your life and mine, and that is to steal, and that is to kill, and that is to destroy. That's what he wants to do. But here's where you and I need to remain strengthened and encouraged. When Jesus completed his mission on the cross, hear this now, he struck a fatal blow to Satan's strategy. I want to quickly, because we're going to run out of time here real soon, but I, before we're done, I want to give you the two-prong, primarily, there's other but the two-pronged strategy of the devil's plan for your life and mine. All right? Number one, be sure you get this. It is accusation. It is accusation. Look at this verse right here. Look at this verse on the screen. It's Colossians 2.15. In this way, God took away, look at this now, everybody, in this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to do it. He's going to do it every single day. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin, and God openly displayed the whole, for the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were taken away. Again, it's going back. When Jesus said it is finished, he's not saying I'm finished. He's saying my mission is finished. And I'm obliterating. I'm taking away this opportunity for Satan to accuse you before my father. Now, I, I, don't, I don't think, I'm, when I give you this example, I, I don't think I'm like, you know, Satan's primary, I, I think I'm a target, but I don't think I'm like his biggest threat, his biggest target, so I'm not saying this uh, pridefully in any sense. But if it were, you know, you, you'll get the point, it, it's like Satan would say to God, Satan would say to God, you know, you know, Jeff, Jeff, he's such a loser, he's such a loser, he has messed up at least a million times. He is, he's a worthless sinner. And it would be like, I envision this, Jesus, or our, our, you know, God would say uh, back to Satan, you know, Satan, you know, he's, he's worthless. He's, he's sin. At least I've, I've lost count. My calculator does not even go that high and he's, he's a loser in every way. And it's like God would say to Satan, yes, but this is what I want you to know about Jeff. I've paid his penalty. I've paid his penalty. I defeated sin. It is finished. And you know what? God would say that about every single one of us. How many of you are glad to know that? It removes the opportunity for Satan to accuse us before the Father. Will he do it? But Jesus, it's like Jesus stands in, and it's like Jesus says to God, all right, But I pay the penalty. I I, I stood in the gap. I defeated sin. It is finished. So the evil one, when Jesus struck this fatal blow, remember, it is finished. He crushed the plans of the devil. He crushed his ability and opportunity to accuse us. Accusation, secondly, devastation. He removed that. I want you to be clear on this. The devil is not a harmless Halloween character. He is real, and he plays for keeps. And Satan would love nothing more than to see you defeated, discouraged, fearful, miserable, bitter, and spiritually lost. But he has one major problem. Jesus shouted from the cross, it is finished. And he obliterated the plan of the devil. You're not going to accuse my kids and you're not going to destroy my kids. Colossians 1.13, look at this last verse. God has freed us. Let's read it together, all of us. God has freed us from the power of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. In this sixth statement, we're going to look at the seventh one. Do not miss next week. Let's wrap up the series. Then the next week, we're going to have Mother's Day. I've got a special message uh, I'm working on for that day. We're going to start a new series right after that. But do, do not miss the climactic statement that Jesus made. It's the seventh and final statement. But when Jesus said, It is finished. It was not, I am finished. It is, I have accomplished what the Father sent me to do. I have fulfilled my mission. And friends, these are the most important words that you will ever hear in your lifetime. The most important words are the words coming from Jesus' lips, it is finished. And in that, Jesus was saying, I've paid the penalty of your sin in full. I have permanently defeated Sin and death. You don't have to be afraid to die. And although you're going to sin, and in me you can find forgiveness, the reality is you do not have to live as a victim to sin. And furthermore, I've crushed the plans of the devil. A number of years ago, many, many years ago, a mom who lived in a tentament building had left, and it was an unwise decision, but she, her little baby, it was a corner grocery store just out of the building, around the corner, and she had left her sleeping baby, and she just thought, I'm going to run, grab a couple of things in this little corner grocery store, and she, so she came downstairs, ran around to this grocery store, and she had been there just a little bit longer than she had anticipated, and she hears fire trots. To her dis- dismay, when she came out, she saw that the, the hoses of the fire trucks were aimed in the direction of her building. She started screaming. She started screaming. She said, my baby is up there. She goes to the fire chief. My baby, my baby is up there. My baby is there. Fire chief, as compassionate as he could, told her, well, it, it, w- it would be a suicide to go out at, at this point. There's no way. There's no way. The fire has uh, gone too f- far, uh, and a, a young fireman standing nearby said to the chief, said, uh, You know, I have a baby at home, and I would like to think that if my baby is in trouble, somebody would at least make the effort. He, uh, in great bravery, went up the steps, found the baby, came out threw the baby, out the window into the little rescue net. Soon thereafter, the whole building collapsed, and in it, he died. Fast forward 20 years later, 20 years later. There's a young girl. She's 20 years old. She's kneeling at a little cemetery, and there, this placard at the grave is, is the image of a fireman, sort of a, how they can do creatively, and, and she's crying. Another person who's in the cemetery on that particular day waltzs over to comfort her and says, I'm so sorry for your loss. Was that your dad? No, that was not my dad. Oh, was that your brother? It was not my brother. Then who was it? That is the man who died for me. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm the man who died for you. In fact, you know what Jesus said? Jesus would say this, I would, listen, I would rather die than live without you. See, some of you are here this morning and you're afraid of death because you're not sure about your spiritual life. You're like, okay, Jeff, you're talking about heaven. You find solace and comfort in the fact that your mom and dad is in heaven you know you you say that you're not afraid of death because you know you're you're going to heaven. but you may not have that confidence and god wants you to have that confidence you may not have it because you don't know where you're at spiritually you may have doubts and questions if you're here today and you'd say, you know what? I don't want to be conquered by sin. I don't want to be another victim of sin. If Jesus went through all of that for me, if Jesus ahead of time, and I can't do anything to add to it, if he paid my penalty in full, If Jesus did that, if Jesus defeated sin and death so that I don't have to be in bondage to sin and I don't have to fear death, if Jesus crushed the powers at work in the life of the devil to try to defeat me, if Jesus did all that for me, why would I not want to receive him? Why would I not want to rededicate my life to him? So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes, everybody, as we wrap up this service today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe you'd say, you know what, Jeff, I want to have confidence I want to have confidence that when my life on earth is over, that when I wake up, my next breath, that it's going to be in heaven. I don't want to miss heaven. I want to know that I'm in right standing with God. I realize now what Jesus did for me, and I want to receive him. I want to rededicate my life to him. If you say that today, you know, Jeff, I know what Jesus did for me. I realize that. I don't want to fear or die. I don't want to be a victim of sin. I, I, want to, I want to know that I'm in right standing with God. I want to pray and receive Jesus. Know my sins are forgiven. Everything I've ever done wrong is forgiven, washed under the shed blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross. If that's you, you lift up your hand real quick. Just lift it up, and let me see it. And Then you can put it. I see your hand right here, your hand. I'm Just look. Give me just a moment. I see your hand right back there. I see your hand. Just lift it up. I see your hand back there. Just lift it up for just a moment. Keep it up. Right over there, I see your hand. You can put him down. And right there, just pray this prayer with me in your heart. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you that you paid my penalty in full. I don't have to be a victim. Just said. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to worry about what the devil's going to do to me. I know that you love me. That you know me by name. Number of hairs on my head. And I know that if you will forgive me, which you will, and you'll come into my life, which you will, that I know not only in this world, but when I die, I win. I win. I win here and I win there. So, Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your promise. And that you finish the work for me. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. Can we do it? Have a great week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday. Love you, everybody.